we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Holly, well, it's great to have you. Love co-hosting with you. So thanks for being here. And uh, Holly, tell me about something you learned this week. Well, I actually learned a lot about the disability rights movement of the 70s from our colleague, Gina, who uh, shared the Netflix documentary Crip Camp with me. I highly recommend it. It's about a group of campers from Camp Jeanette, which was a summer camp in the Catskills for mm -hmm children with physical and mental disabilities. And this core group of campers went on to lead the disability rights movement, um, including Judith Human, and uh, who some of you may know of or follow. And she led a sit-in that um, for 28 days, and it was the Black Panthers that fed all of these protesters. Um, you know, and at that time, the Black Panthers didn't have a lot of resources. And so someone said, well, why are you helping us? And uh, they said, you're in you're in the business of making this earth a better place. And that's what we're about. Wow. And I thought that was a, a beautiful story. That's really cool. Well, thank you, Gina. For, yes. I was going to say thank Gina you. wasn't around in the 70s, was she? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, was. The film. <laughs> I was. Well, thanks. Okay. We've got some good stuff to talk about then. And uh, we welcome our live audience. Love to have a live audience. Obviously, anybody can watch anytime, but it's always fun because when we have a live audience, you can all be posting comments and questions, et cetera. Just remember that sometimes your comments come in about 30 seconds after you write it. So if you're going to say something specifically to one of our guests, you might want to put their name in it so that we make sure that we know the right uh, question or the right uh, comment is going to the right person. So let's get to it, Holly. Our first guest here is, um, <coughs> excuse me, a psychologist who assesses and treats children with autism disorder and other challenges through applied behavioral analysis therapy. And she also offers parent coaching and management. She is the founder and CEO of Giving Hope LLC, whose goal is to lead millions of people to a lifestyle of freedom. I love that. And I have learned in our backstage conversation that her name means peaceful and tender-hearted. Please welcome Dr. Naima, peaceful <laughs> and tender-hearted Burgess. <laughs> Hi, Hello. Naima. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Good. Good. Can you tell us something you've learned this week? Something that I've learned this week is that caterpillars double in size within two days. We're, we have a, a caterpillar farm, my son and I. Um, something because of COVID, I have to keep him engaged. He's seven. Um, and I also learned that they turn my stomach. So, um, And I'm patient. That's another thing that I learned with my child. So it's... it's, it's well, well, your name stands for patient and tenderhearted, right? Is that what... Uh, Oh no, peaceful and tender. So I learned that about caterpillars. Although I used to play with them. Um, I live in New York now, grew up in North Carolina. I used to play with these things when I was little. Um, but now I, I can't stomach them. But they they actually double in size 
within a day or two. So that's what I learned this week. That's pretty cool. Well, we have a problem-based learning task that we often give kids on the butterfly um, as, as becoming an endangered species. And we talk about the life cycle. So definitely have to throw that in that they double in size in the first two days. That's crazy. Yes. They are now compared to where they were a few days ago. So I'm ready for and, and so Naima, I was very fascinated by the work that you've done and looking at autism in the black community. So we're going to get to talking about that. I can't wait. I'm excited. And, but first, let me bring on uh, the guests that will be joining us. Barry Carpenter is actually coming to us from the United Kingdom. So it's a little bit late there. Thanks for staying up, Barry. And he is the UK's first professor in mental health in education a chair that was created just for him at Oxford Brookes University. He was awarded an OBE, Order of the British Empire, and CBE, Commander of the Order of the British Empire, by the Queen for services to children with special needs. He is the co-author of Girls and Autism, and also of en Engaging Learners with Complex Learning Difficulties and Disabilities. And uh, he's also written two books on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, and then he has recently, in his spare time, he, he, during the pandemic, or as a result of the pandemic, he wrote two books for children about the pandemic that can be downloaded for free, called Lenny and Lily in Lockdown and Lenny and Lily Return to School. And these are wordless books, which I love. So please welcome Barry Carpenter. Good evening from England, Nancy. Thanks for staying up late. The Catholic is working so far. <laughs> Good evening, Barry. I hope you have an extra cup of coffee tonight. <laughs> I did indeed. Keep me going. Thank you, Ollie. <laughs> and so what's something that you've learned this week? Something I've learned this week is that um, I think particularly in this pandemic, we've all been learning to live in the moment. You can't plan ahead. Things, how many holidays have we rescheduled or, or work meetings and so on. And I've learned that a simple act of kindness can transform the quality of that moment that you live in. And you don't always know who's going to deliver that simple act of kindness. Mm. The people you perhaps look to because they would have the, in inverted commas, power to transform that moment of your life don't always deliver, but then somebody just comes along and it happens. And when that happens, it's, it's very significant. That's mm. wonderful. And we should... Uh we should do more of those simple acts of kindness for one another as we, as we continue to move through the pandemic and in life in general. So yes. thanks for that. All right. Well, we have one more colleague that we'll be bringing in here. Uh, well, I call him a colleague. See, I've already made you guys all colleagues. Uh, David J. Flood is a youth motivational speaker. He has spoken at over 600 schools to a half million kids. So if you're looking, if you're in a school looking for professional learning, he has spoken with, uh, students at uh, middle school and high school level. He has spoken at the college level, and he also provides professional learning uh, opportunities for educators. Uh, he is the co-author of a kid's book about autism that he co-authored with his son, Justin, who is on the autism spectrum. So we're really interested in hearing about that book as well. And he encourages children to look inside others, to see themselves in others, so that no one feels alone. He is probably best known as, inside joke here, Pat Floyd's son. Please welcome David J. Floyd. Flood. Flood. Oh. Come on now. You know, it just, you know, it just hit me 
<laughs> Barry's book has no words. My book has no pictures. Oh, so no. We should get together. It's like Reese's. <laughs> I don't know. Geez, I apologize, David. I, I, I have on my all of my show notes, say David Flood. I just decided to switch your name again at the last minute. He sat behind me in homeroom. There was a Floyd. Must have was been that it? Was that it? <laughs> so Pat Flood's son. So yes. Pat Flood's son, David, what's something that you've learned this week? That's a great question, Holly. Uh, I didn't learn anything this week, but I was reminded of something that I knew already. Uh, I hadn't been in schools speaking live in, in quite some time. I spoke in, in a school in New Jersey a few weeks back, but yesterday I was in a middle school in Rhode Island and I was reminded uh, of something that I had forgotten. And, you know, I was so excited to be back in the school and be in the flow and laughing and joking with the kids and, and doing my thing. And uh, I was reminded how much kids are struggling uh, mm -hmm. with anxiety, with stress. There was an eighth grader uh, who had a tremendous amount of courage. Uh, kids were allowed to ask me questions at the end of my presentation. And um, she stood up and, and had the courage to take the microphone. This is a 13 year old uh, and, and tell uh, her, her classmates in, in uh, seventh grade um, that she was in the process of being diagnosed with special needs at 13 years old Wow! Um, and the anxiety she was going through. So I, I knew that and I've heard that story a hundred times, a thousand times in the 600 schools that I've been in. Um, but I was reminded of it again and I needed that reminder. Uh, that that what I do and what we all do is is uh, is serious business. Right, that's wonderful. It's a great learning experience uh, or a relearning experience. So uh, I I know that for each of you we have a few images that I want to talk about, and, and I'm actually I usually bring them on later in the show, but I want to bring them up sooner in the show because uh, Gabby Harrington Richard Gabby Richard Harrington has asked the question, how do we get your pandemic books, Barry? So directors, let's bring up Barry's images here. So this is, uh, tell us a little bit about Lenny and Lily and how they can get these books. Okay, well, I'll answer the question directly. You can get them from uh, my website, which will be flashed up for you um, during the show. And you can download them for free. When um, I agreed to, to uh, well, co-author these books, you'll see my colleagues there, uh, Ali and Jenny, um, and they, they work in a school in uh, Dover in Kent, and they actually did the trials of the books um, with kids, but again, during the pandemic, so it had to be a very restricted um, group. But um, th the point of the books is this, that um, the stories are wordless because the underpinning pedagogical principles, the underpinning teaching principles, are the co-creation, co-construction, co-production of story. So what we're finding with the books, which, which are quite short, and these two characters, um, Lenny and Lucy, and they uh, go to the same school and they happen to live next door to each other. Um, and, and the story unfolds and um, there's a picture in the book, for example, of it was uh, Lily's birthday and the grandparents putting the birthday present on the doorstep and retreating. And that's happened to me, I have four grandchildren, that's happened to me now throughout the last year. That's what you have to do, leave the present on the doorstep. And it's painful not getting the hugs, not having that, that physical contact, particularly with your grandchild. And so initially children t tell the story as they see it. They interpret the, the pictures, but, um, and, and Nancy was talking before the show about neurodiversity. And if we, we believe in neurodiversity, 
we have to also acknowledge neuroscience. So what these books are about is about emotional expression. Well, the emotional expression comes from the amygdala at the back of the brain. If we then put words in, then either graphically or phonetically, the child has to decode and encode those words, which happens in the frontal cortex. And, and, and the, um, the transversing emotional response from the amygdala at the back gets blocked then by that decoding encoding process. Mm -hmm. And all you get is decoding encoded words. You do not get emotional expression. And what we want is emotional expression. What teachers are telling me, the more and more that they use these books, that the children's story then becomes, yes, Lenny and Lily, but with their experience in embellishing that, till eventually they tell the story of their life in lockdown. Remember in the UK, we've had three major periods of life lockdown. We're only just out of this last one where it was a bitterly cold winter. You felt locked in, not just locked down, let me tell you. We've got kids going back to school disengaged as learners. Mm -hmm. um, anxiety, trauma, bereavement, not just the loss of, we've lost 130,000 people in this country. Goodness knows you've lost a, a, a significant number more mm -hmm. in the United States. And we have to honor the memory of each of those, those people. Yeah. They too have given their lives for this. And so we, we want children to explore that trauma because we know, and I'm sure we've talked to a lot of experienced educators and psychologists tonight, Nancy, that if trauma isn't resolved in childhood, it'll come back in adulthood and bite you badly. Yes. Failed relationships, failed economic potential, all, all of those life issues. So the books are, I thought I was writing them just for a one-off lockdown, you know, last year. We're now coming out of a third lockdown. Yeah, and yeah. God willing, we will not go back in lockdowns, but you can't say we definitely will not. Look at what's happening in India at this point. India, I was just going to say that. Like, we, we don't know. All we can do is pray, send out good healing energy to folks, and uh, and try and get through this. So so that's just um, put up that website one more time. It's barrycarpentereducation.com that you can uh, download the books there. You can also get them from a publisher, but you have to pay because it's a printed copy, yeah. but uh, you can download them. And that's a wonderful thing. So thanks. Thanks, Barry, for that. Um, I'm going to jump over to Naima and ask the, the director to bring up the images that we have so that uh, uh, Naima can talk a little bit about uh, what we have up, up here, particularly the organization that you have co-founded. So um, Giving Hope came about a long time ago when I was eight years old and it's been developing. Um, I, I fell in love or came in contact with autism when I was 14. Um, and when I was 17, I learned what my path was supposed to do, what I was supposed to do on my path. So in coming to New York from North Carolina, I have been um, learning what autism is. And now with the video, you will see what I am doing. I'm putting together um, a way to assess and um, teach parents how to assess in every area of development, um, the child with autism in terms of um, how they converse with people, uh, how they do math, how they um, are able to uh, function with their ADLs. That's my son during the pandemic, teaching parents how to advocate for their children. And I am progress monitoring every part of the assessment and, and teaching parents how to get that child from where they are and to where they can get to reach their full potential. That's what we're working on right now. 
That's wonderful. I love the name of the organization. Thank you. Thank wonderful you. Thing. So let's put up the website one more time there. I know the websites will be up all the, throughout the whole show, but definitely check out Naima's uh, website at Giving Hope LLC. And um, Pat Flood's son, <laughs> I know you really want to be known as... She's loving this. <laughs> yeah. I know you really want to be known as Justin Flood's father. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about what you and Justice, Justin did? Yeah. So, so well, one thing I've learned more in the past 15 months, Justin's taught me more about myself, Nancy, in the past 15 months than I learned in the last 15 years. So uh, being locked down together. Um, so this book is written for people, for adults, a trusted adult to read to children who are five plus, really for elementary school age my target audience, as I've been a speaker for 10 years, has been middle and high school students mm -hmm. uh, and staff and college students. It's, uh, you know, the stories I tell are a little bit more mature for an elementary school. Although I have spoken at some elementary schools to third, fourth and fifth graders. But this book is a great tool um, to get the conversation started with. And it's really, you know, Justin is really just he's my on ramp to the highway of kindness to talk about anyone being kind to anyone, not just children with special needs. Uh, he just happens to have special needs. Um, but it is unbelievable, you know, that he was able to write this book with me, 25% in his voice, 75% um, uh, in my voice. And my favorite, absolute favorite page is the middle page. This is what's going on in Justin's brain. You know, at any given time, he could have 400 different thoughts going on and just be overwhelmed, you know, and overstimulated by that. But it's it's a great book. You can get it at a kidsbook.com. They have 40 different authors and, you know, with all different uh, categories and topics and ours was autism. And I'm, I was honored and humbled that they asked us to uh, to write it, to be authors, to be co-authors on it. And how special? How, spe how special is that? That's just amazing. Oh, it's, yeah, I, uh, there was a redundant, I didn't know that was a redundant question. Nancy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, um, it's it's special, yes, yes, yes. I don't know, you have trouble understanding me, right? I, I say do. I say flood and you're hearing Floyd. I don't, I don't, you don't need <laughs> All right. The King's English, we're murdering the King's <laughs> English. Let's go back to, uh, um, Actually, wait a second. Did you? Yes, David. David, you had pointed out that your name means beloved. It it does. That's biblical. Yes, and we found out that Barry uh, said that his name. He has no clue. So, <laughs> but Barry, there's other things we know about you. So let's uh, bring up some of the images that we have for Barry that we didn't get to yet. You you have to tell us about uh, your your uh, awards medals from the Queen. Okay, so. Um... The, the OB there is uh, what's called an officer of the British Empire. And um, then that, that was awarded to me in uh, about 2006. Um, and, and it was for services for, to children with special needs. I'd been principal of a school for children with autism. Um, it had been a school that had been in very significant difficulties and it eventually was transformed to what our inspectors classed as uh, outstanding with exceptional features. And um, so the, the award for that, this, the, the, the second one was more significant in some ways. And, but the Queen gave me the first one, I have to say. But the second one, I actually had Prince William for the investiture. Ah. Uh, and that is, it's in, in the highest level that you, you can have. 
and um, its its commander. And that one comes, you can see it in the picture of me, it comes with a, a sort of sash that you can hang it on. Um, you're expected to wear it on certain days for, for national uh, ceremonies and you go into your local community and you are um, just representing, if you like, the Queen uh, on on those days. And um, yeah, and it's it's um, it's very significant. You you normally get that once in a lifetime. So I reckon I must have had two lifetimes already because I've had the honor of, of going twice to Buckingham Palace. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. We're, we are humbled in your presence. <laughs> Um, and I think we have uh, an image too of you with your daughter. Yeah, so you know, it's heartening to hear what David is is saying, and it's wonderful to be on this show, Nancy, with another father because um, fathers has been an area of my research as fathers, actually, David, um, because we're often not recognised and um, you know are often the invisible parent in the whole dialogue. But that's my daughter Katie that you saw flash up there. Um, Katie has Down syndrome. Um, she is in her 30s now. She lives in her own home, which she shares with two friends. She didn't want to live on her own, and that's perfectly understandable. Um, you know, independent living doesn't mean you have to live on your own. Um, and so she has um, she's, has a, a certificate that qualifies her as a waitress. But, you know, employment opportunities for people with disabilities are not always good. And she went for the 16-hour-per-week jobs, and she never got them. Uh, somebody else always did. Um, so she's been great at working in what we call charity shops um, and working in the, in the community. Um, and then she started to train as a teacher's aide. Using the, the books that you showed earlier, the children's books, are part of a series called Books Beyond Words. And she became a trainer for Books Beyond Words training teachers on how to use those books. There's a whole library of them, often on very emotional subjects. And she has written her own book uh, focused on inclusion in that series. So she's actually designed a wordless book. She's written a wordless book. That's amazing. And her book was launched at Lambeth Palace with the Archbishop of Canterbury in London. Wow. Uh, and she has a co-author. Uh, and her co-author for that is a lady called Sheila Hollins, who is a psychiatrist who is now the Baroness Hollins, and sits in the House of Lords. Um, and Katie used to have to go down to London for the meetings about the book. And she'd have a, a support worker go with her, but she'd travel on the train and I used to have to pay for her to go first class because she always said she needed the breakfast. And um, she'd get the cab in London and she'd get the taxi to the House of Lords and she would swan through security. And Baroness Holland said she would walk in as if she worked there every day. <laughs> and she would co-chair the planning meetings for the book. And, yeah, she's, she's a character. And then she just threw it all up, Nancy, and decided she wanted to become an actress, don't they all? So she's back at college studying drama at the moment. I love it. I love well, it. yeah, I love that is awesome. That is awesome. All right. So let's uh, dive in a little deeper. I haven't heard uh, from my co-host yet because I often tell her I never give anybody a chance to speak. So... Holly, what, what questions are on your mind for our guests tonight? Well, first, Barry, I want to know where we can find her book. Well, it will be the same. Um, there, there is a, I should have said this. I'm sorry, Lauren, I should have sent this in advance. But um, it's called Books Beyond Words. So if you don't put any gaps between that, um, booksbeyondwords.co.uk. Wait, Books Beyond Words, say it again, Barry. We'll get it put up. Books Beyond Words. 
I'm going to make sure I get this right, booksbeyondwords.co.uk. Uh, and um, that's the book. And, and her book is actually called Going to Church, but it's about inclusion. Why it's called Going to Church is in the, in the small town, the village that Katie lives in, the aspect of the, the community has been the most inclusive has been the, the church in terms of welcome. It's a very traditional church. Um, and the ladies in the very beautiful hats never missed a moment. And they just went on in there. Uh, and they didn't know what they were taking on, but they have been just golden. And it's built, that community has built itself around Katie and her two friends. And they're just so well integrated into that community. They have a, a high quality of, uh, of life. Thank you, Barry. Um, Daima, I wanted to ask, um, I was looking at your website and I'm interested to know more about some of the holistic therapies you offer for autistic children and their families. Okay, so I start out with a, an intensive interview. What exactly are all of your concerns? And then I observe the family with the child. I observe them in the home and then I observe them within my office. I want to see how you're engaging with your child and I want to see how much your child is manipulating you. Um, and I want to see how much your child really knows. Uh, I want to see what your parenting is like. And then I offer pointers. Then I ask the parent, what are your needs? Um, I do tend to give of myself more than what I take in terms of the currency, um, just because I'm just so passionate about it. And, and I know that it takes a lot and you, you really have to, you really have to do it the right way. Um, so in terms of holistic, I offer four methods of treatment. When we come in, we, we do the psychological assessment. We do the ecological assessment that's assessing in all aspects of life. We review the IEP. We do the educational assessment. And we do all of the, like the ABLES, which is how can they um, make progress socially, um, emotionally, how are they engaging with, with their peers, with their words, or do they respond when you call their name? Um, if, if it's, are they responding to their mother? Is it they're responding to their father? Who are they responding to or who are they not responding to? Um, and then we create a plan based on that. And we start treating um, the, with the least intrusive supports. We might provide neurofeedback if the parents are interested in that. We might provide ABA therapy. But in order to receive our supports, they have to engage in family therapy um, because there's always a part um, where uh, having a child with special having a child period um, taxes on your emotions. OK, it affects your life and if you wanna be honest as a person, it affects you. So we want to support the whole person, the whole family, and we are very transparent in that. So in order to receive our supports, you have to engage in family therapy at least once a month. So we are providing supports within the home and within our center, which, which is a new transitional um, service that we are rolling out in July. And I love that holistic approach and, and you are located in Mount Vernon and we're rolling out in the Bronx okay keep that in mind audience if you're in the Bronx or near the Bronx give mm -hmm. them a look absolutely Holly back to you well with that being said Naima both David and Barry as as fathers 
of autistic children or children with special needs, what are some of the things that they have taught you um, over the years, but also during the pandemic? Because I know, David, you brought up earlier how traumatic this pandemic has been on, on children, um, but it hasn't been easy for adults either. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what, what have your children been, been able to teach you? You know, Holly, thank you for asking me that. I, I really applaud Naima for what she's doing. She needs to duplicate herself like a hundred times. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a calling and have advocates for parents who aren't exposed to, you know, my sister's a speech and language pathologist and she, she saw Justin right away and we took him to a great doctor, a developmental pediatrician, neurologist and had him diagnosed at 18 months. But that does not happen in a lot of communities. In a lot of communities, that does not happen. Um, a recurring theme for me, I hope your audience doesn't take this the wrong way, but well, anyway, but a recurring theme for me for the past eight or 10 months has been, boy, isn't this pandemic good because it's taught all of the typical people what it's like to live in social isolation during the other times when normal times or typical times or regular days. Now, maybe we know what it feels like for someone who has autism or Down syndrome or Asperger's or is socially isolated because they're shy, introverted, anxious, any of those things. And now now we, we got a lesson in that. And now after we come out of at when we come out of as we come out of this, no matter what country you live in, you know, that, that should be a calling that, you know, I don't want to go back to that. And that's how that person lived. And as far as being a father, um, you know, uh, I was I was supposed to speak and well, there was a PTA, a school was looking at to have me speak. And there was some pushback from one of the people on the PTA. They said, oh, he's just an emotional father. And I said, I'll absolutely wear that moniker. No problem. Right. And who better to, to reach kids than an emotional dad? Watch any of the videos that I've put out on Facebook. If those don't connect with kids, I don't know what will. Well, they make adults cry because we've yeah, been. Well, <laughs> kids cool. too. That's cool. Um, well, what an important point when we're talking about neurodiversity. You know, we have to take an asset-based approach and thinking of what are these children with differences. How are they experiencing these things and taking their perspective into account and seeing that as a strength. Um, so I love that spin you put on it. This this pandemic kind of forced us into that mindset in a way. Right. Absolutely. And I want to pick up on that thread, um, Holly, on neurodiversity that we were talking backstage and I was saying that in our world, we tend to be very binary. You're either this or you're that. And a lot of people now are talking about, well, let's be a little bit non-binary. And even if you think about autism, it's not, I have autism or I don't. You know, there's an autism spectrum. So there's, there's, there's levels, if you will. And we're also looking at the fact that, you know, a lot of people have been talking about is, is autism also a social construct, just as we talk about is race a social construct? And we need to think uh, or to focus on having people look differently at situations. And for instance, with, um, with autism, if we think of instead neurodiversity, that our brains are all just slightly different and that we do things differently, but that doesn't mean that one way is right and one way is wrong. Uh, if I'm somewhat more shy or have trouble with too much stimulation, that doesn't mean I'm wrong, it just means I look at the world differently. And if we could embrace neurodiversity, 
and we could allow in schools students to really appreciate one another. We could create inclusive environments where everybody can be themselves and be working in ways that allow everyone to be themselves. And I'm, I'm very de dedicated to that in general. I had designed a uh, framework called the Learner Active Technology Infused Classroom. And it's all about putting students in charge of their own learning. And it's all, look at that. And I wrote a couple of books on that, Students Taking Charge, so that uh, if students are in charge of their own learning, it allow, and that, what that means is that the teacher obviously has to create an environment that creates the structures that enable students to take charge. We often talk about a teacher being not a ferry that moves kids across, but a bridge builder that provides the structures for students to walk across themselves. And when you do that, you can build an incredible level of differentiation and you can allow students to advocate for how they learn and where they learn. And uh, I remember in one classroom years ago, uh, the teacher had all different kinds of furniture and, and had some study carols. And, I saw a student go into a, an area, pick up these like construction headphones, put them on and, you know, walk over to the uh, study carol. And when he was done and he left, he walked away. I called him over and I said, listen, I was really interested in, you know, why you just did that. And he said, well, I really have trouble uh, paying attention when a lot of people are talking. And so what I do is I just go and get those headphones and then I go off to a study carol where I can't see anybody and then I can focus and concentrate. What a wonderful way for students to advocate for themselves and what a wonderful classroom that allows students to be themselves. So I wanna talk a little bit more about this idea of how you see neurodiversity um, playing out in the area of autism. Who wants it? At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening, shampoo, and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash podcast. That's 4 slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. The question that is not. Well, each child is different. Each person is different. I think there are just like there are different strands of coronavirus. I think there are different strands of autism. In the last um, couple of years, I've seen it where children on the spectrum, they will look at you and give eye contact. But in my opinion, the types of assessments that I do, I just dig deeper. Um, I would say that they are on the, the spectrum. Some people will only give a CARS, which is a rating scale and an observation. I will do more assessing and more observing and contrive more situations. And I will learn that, okay, this child is looking at me, but they're not looking at me in a meaningful way. Yeah. Parents will say, you know, a parent will, uh, parents have hope. Parents in their, in, in within themselves, they want to say, you know, my child is, is typical. 
um, but they know within themselves there's something, there's something different about my child, but they're, but they're hoping that it's not. They're hoping that you're going to say that it's not. Um, the average psychologist might not dig deeper. They might not know. They might be afraid or they might not have the training or the, the long-term um, experience in working with children on the spectrum. So along the years, I've, I've seen it look differently. So there is a difference in the brain makeup of children on the spectrum. And sometimes children on the spectrum will not talk. And it's typical that if they're not speaking before the age of five, that up, oh, they're not going to speak. They're not going to speak after five but you can get a child that's 12 years old and maybe they will ride a horse or maybe they will be exposed to something. Maybe they will have neural feedback and they will start singing the song just like that. Yeah, I know a, a child who didn't speak until the age of eight and uh, his mom was driving in a car. He was in the back seat and he looked out the window and he said, I'd like a hot dog. Those were his first words. Mm-hmm. So at the age of eight. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, neurodiversity, Barry, what are you thinking? Well, I'd like to to take that and say, okay, so neurodiversity, I'm very very supportive of that. I think more and more we need to be cognizant of the neurobiology of the brain. We, as teachers, and that's what I am, an an educator by background, um, we don't know enough about the brain. You know, how many years do teachers teach math, for example, and don't know that it's actually the parietal lobe in the brain that deals with numeracy and mathematical computation? but for me, Nancy, the next question on would be, so how does neurodiversity translate into pedagogy and into classroom practice? Um, and therefore, the neuroscience has to come into play there. Um, and I know you, you wanted me to share some thoughts around girls and autism. And there's a, a wonderful phrase from a woman with autism, Robin Stewart, who talks about, you know, um, for her, it's like her brain is wired differently. And so for me, that's a great phrase mm-hmm. because I can then say, right, if she's saying her brain is wired differently, in what way does she learn differently? Because when she knows, when I know how she learns differently, I can teach differently. Mm-hmm. To use your word earlier, Nancy, I know then how to differentiate. Differentiation being the process of adjusting teaching to meet individual needs. Hence, we bring in personalization and the engagement of the student increases. So all the time, I think we need to spin these really important concepts, but right down to how does it touch that child who is neurodiverse at their point of learning need? How does the curriculum wrap around that child, embrace them as an active learner, not a peripheral participant standing on the sidelines watching the learning of others, but at the heart of it, the dynamic center of that engaging classroom? And that is so, you know, that's my life's passion, mission, uh, work, is this idea that you can't separate pedagogy from the child. So pedagogy should be personalized for every child. And it's not that, you know, right now, I mean, uh, the way we've done schools for for the longest time uh, as a result of kind of the factory model of efficiency in education is that I teach this way. But if you don't learn this way, well, there's some you're going to be an other and we're going to remove you in some way uh, to to learn in different ways. And why can't we design classrooms? And that's what I do for a living. Design classrooms that 
differentiate to the level of, and I've been talking lately, and I, I promise I'm writing a blog post on that, on the idea that it's not about simply differentiating, we're all learning the same skill, and now I'll give you four different ways to learn it. But it's about, we're all different learners. We all need, especially talking post-pandemic, uh, returning to school learning gaps, we all have a lot of different things we need to learn. So how can we create an, a learning environment that embraces all of that? And you mentioned, uh, you know, the whole, the different parts of the brain. So that's a very good segue into what's in your mug, where we pause to uh, thank, and actually I'm going to keep it under wraps for now, but our, uh, our uh, organization, our network here is actually changing names. So next, on next week's show, I will uh, reveal the new network name that we have, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, as we go into the next era of all of these fabulous shows uh, that are uh, hosted by the same network that will be revealed next week as mine is. But uh, I like to stop and do what's in your mug. And this week I chose my brain mug. And, uh, you know, Barry, as you mentioned, oh. all the parts of the brain, I've got them all right here. And actually the uh, prefrontal cortex, I wrote a book about, uh, in terms of building executive function, the missing link to student achievement. So uh, in my mug, I have um, Pete's coffee today, which is a very delightful decaf because I'm not trying to stay awake. So let me toss that over to you, Barry, since you're trying to stay awake, what's in your mug? Well, because this is a once in a lifetime experience for me to appear you know, in the United States on, on a chat show with with someone such as yourself, uh, I decided to honor that by choosing one of my favorite mugs, which is my Bette Midler mug. Love Bette Midler. Oh, you and me both. <laughs> and so uh, don't, don't push that too far because I could burst into song at any point. And, oh, what uh, are we singing? Me too. <laughs> you are the wind beneath my wings. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'm still uh, being cold there in my shadow. You get the next line. Um. <laughs> All right, we're not. We're, we're, we're obviously not. not gonna, we're not going to give up our day jobs. <laughs> no. And so, four years ago, Beth did a, a tour of the UK, and she came to Birmingham, which would be the nearest big city to to where we live. And um, my daughter Katie came with me to watch the show. And you know, Beth is just just her on a stage in a small frame. Golly, you feel the power of that woman. Her humanity is all enveloping. And so I had to buy the mug. And it's actually, it's not frequently used, I have to be honest, Nancy, because it's just too precious. Because for me, I know that will be the only time in my life I ever get to see that wonderful performer and uh, all the gifts she has given. Well, I am people. honored that you chose to use that mug then on my show. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Holly, what's in your mug? Well, um, you know, making friends, especially as an adult, can't isn't always the easiest thing. Um, and I was lucky enough at my last school I worked at in Brooklyn, as an adult, I made a very dear friend. And before I moved, she gave me this mug. It says, good friends are like stars. You don't always see them, but you know they're always there. And, um, I always think about her when I drink out of it and, you know, I'll, I'll shoot her a text or give her a call, but I'm so grateful for her and our friendship. And right now it's empty because I have a bottle of rosé chilling to fill it 
after the show. <laughs> ah, so it'll be the post-show mug. I see that. Exactly. You don't have to worry. You'll be joining uh, Dave and Allenbach, who's always drinking Johnny Black and Club Soda. There you go. Yep. Uh-huh. And oh, look at that. Julia's drinking Perrier Grapefruit. Um, sounds delightful. Uh, oh, Carrie's got sweet iced tea. It's hot in Florida. Amen to that. Uh, today I was I was blowing on my hands because it was so cold. And I realized I just had the air conditioner too low. It's freaking <laughs> hot outside. You just open up the window and I would have been blasted with warm air. I wish. <laughs> David, what's in your mug? Coffee. Just plain clear glass. I need to know. I need to see what I'm drinking. It's just very, very simple. That's, I think we that's could right. build some it's, metaphor around that. The clear there mug. definitely is. You know, uh, Nancy, I wanted to. As I sip my coffee, I was spinning from all the educational big words that that the doctors were using earlier. But just maybe if I could sum up for the layman, anyone who's listening, layperson who's watching or listening to this, we have a saying in the autism community, and maybe Barry and Naeem have heard this. If you've met one person with autism, guess what? You've met one person with autism. No two are alike. Yeah. You know, if you've met one person from England, you've met one person from England. If you've met one person from an ethnic, ethnic background or a race, you've met one person. No yeah. two are alike. On the outside, on the inside, I happen to think we're all alike. But that's that's that just sums it up for me to teach kids when we look at others, stop, pause. Everybody's different. Can you take the time and the pause to understand and get to know them? And that's a wonderful takeaway from the show. If you have met one person with autism, you have met one person with autism. I think that's great. Thank you. Naima, what's in your mug? So I'm using the all things are possible to all who believe. Mm -hmm. March 9, 23. I'm drinking coffee and I drink it often and it's dark and it's strong. Um, and, and it's caffeinated. It, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> You're not fooling around. It's caffeinated. I have to stay up. I have some things to work on. Um, but but when when you when you operate from a place of belief, it it actually heightens your ability to make progress in whatever it is that you're doing. It heightens your ability to process. It heightens your ability to make progress in in helping your children to make progress on the autism spectrum. It makes things better as a teacher. It makes things better as a parent. So if you operate from a place of belief, and that's where I came up with giving hope, um, all the parents that come to me, some of them lack the belief and we have the belief for them. Um, it, it makes things better. Right. I love that. Thank you. All right, Holly, let's kick off uh, the rest of the show. What? What scintillating, thought-provoking question do you want to throw out? Well, so this one's for you, Barry. I, I know that your books, um, Girls in, or at least Girls in Autism, uh, consider some research that historically girls have, have not been, they've been overlooked as being diagnosed with autism. And I'd, I'd love for you to share why, why that is. Um. I think, and going back to the point David made about, in, 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 you know, we're all unique. Um, it's the whole thing about individual difference. But girls in autism, they, they, girls with autism tend to mask and camouflage their, their autism. 
Um, do you know the most common time that they receive a diagnosis would be in the teenage years, say 13, 14, 15, when actually they present with a mental health issue? Maybe it's an eating disorder. Yes. Maybe it, it's self-harming. And it just seems to me, in this day and age, no child should have to get to that point before they receive a diagnosis. Why? That, that girl was three, four, five years of age. Why did we miss her? And, and in fact, the book doesn't answer that question because the book had so many other questions to answer. However, I do want to, to say I, I now have a, a PhD student in, in Ireland, actually, who is just starting to look at that very question about very young girls with autism. But it's this masking kind of camouflaging, and therefore, the the girls have, have gone, um, there's been diagnostic overshadowing, they've often been diagnosed with dyslexia, or maybe with attention deficit disorder, um, so there's been misdiagnosis, they've been misunderstood, They've there's been a lack of diagnosis, they've just been missed often. And, and it goes down also to the gender, you know, um, girls are different, there's a greater social biology in, in the female brain, and therefore, girls with autism are better at reading the social clues from their peer group, and, and they want to be like them. So if you ask a girl with autism, tell me about one of your special interests, she might talk about horses or boy bands. The trick is then to say, tell me another of your special interests. And she might then want to talk about um, uh, the rivers of Africa, for example, and yet she's only seven years of age. Um, and then you start to see, you know, the, the difference and, and, and that starts to come through. Mm. I, I, I could talk on this forever, but I just want to tell you one. The, 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 the week before this book was published, and Nancy knows this because she and I work with the same publisher, you get the pre-publication copy. And, and my copy arrived, and I was just going to off to speak to the National Autistic uh, conference, the National Autistic Society in, in the UK. And I was speaking about mental health, not girls and autism. But when I stood up to give my lecture to, to the assembly, I said, oh, um, and next week, folks, this book will be published and you may be interested. And, and I just kind of left it on the side. And as soon as I finished speaking, I saw this woman run from the back of the room, grab the book and take it into the corner of, a, of the room. And some people were lining up to ask me questions. And others were going over to her asking if they could now please have a look at the book. And she was clutching it to herself. She was not letting it go. And I, I could see she wanted to join the line to ask the question, but she couldn't. And then everybody had gone from the room and she came over and she was stroking the cover of the book. And she said, I am 62 years of age. Yeah. I had my diagnosis of autism when I was 58. This book tells the story of my lost 58 years. Wow. And I didn't need any other feedback as to why we put this book together because it has at its heart the voice of girls with autism. There are, are segues of girls speaking through every chapter of the book. There are mothers speaking, fathers speaking, families speaking, psychologists, psychiatrists. It's multi-perspective. It's, it's been an evidence-gathering book, and others now need to take on the research and the messages from this and run the next stage of the relay. Take that baton and run the next stage of the relay. But it's, it's a book not just for the mind, but for the heart, too. Love that. 
Love that. And yes, the um, your publisher sent me a copy. And I, I wanted to say, I love the cover. I started reading, um, but I love the cover. I just was struggling with my own book because I, uh, I one of my books was just, my sixth book was just published. And uh, I actually had wow. a student at FIT draw the cover for me because I couldn't find any kind of stock photography that fit what I wanted. And it looks like you've done something similar here. Cause that's- Yeah, we, we commissioned uh, an artist and that, cover then went to a focus group of girls with autism and what they said Nancy when they first saw the original draft is that too many of the girls appeared to have moustaches so the artist had to remove that <laughs> however there is one face in there that the moustaches remained so this has kind of become the female version of and I hope this translates into the American context do you know what I mean by Where's Wally? I was just going to say, yes. Where's Waldo? Yes. This is the female here. version now of Where's Wally. It's the female autism version of Where's Wally. So it's people now spend hours looking at the cover, trying to find the one remaining girl who still has the moustache. And the final chapter in here is written by Dr. Wen Lawson, who for 60 years was Dr. Wendy Lawson, a psychologist, a mother of four, who has gone through full biological transition and is now married to a woman. Um. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. And because trans issues are very, very significant in the female autism community. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I feel like we have a whole new show that we've got to bring up in here. Uh, I can't believe we only have seven minutes left. Oh, David, okay. over to you, David. I want to know how do you encourage, inspire students to uh, advocate for themselves and for others, for friends in the uh, autism community? How do you teach advocacy and to your son? Well, I'm going to tell a story if I have two minutes. Um, and Barry just- You can have three. Thank you. Barry <laughs> just absolutely described, you guys are nicer than CNN. Barry absolutely descri <laughs> described the girl that I met yesterday, the 13 year old. She, you know, was stress, anxiety. You know, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I'm sure in all, all the places that you live around sixth grade, when kids are 12 or 13 years old, mm. that's the time when uh, kids go out trick-or-treating alone. Uh, there's no parents following in the car. There's no playdates anymore. You know, call up and, okay, who's going to follow the kids with the wagon, et cetera. And in sixth grade, Justin's birthday happens to be October 26th. He's a huge anime Comic-Con fan, loves getting dressed up. He had no one to go trick-or-treating with in sixth grade. And he was staying home. He didn't want us following him, walking behind him. We didn't think he was mature enough to go alone. And so I was down in our living room, getting up back and forth to the front door to give candy out to the trick-or-treaters. And the fourth or fifth time I got up, I went to the front door and I gave candy to the kids on the stoop. And I looked down at the end of our driveway out of the corner of my eye. And I saw two boys from my son's school. A boy named Kevin Cryer Hassett and a boy named Cameron Jacobs. They showed up. They didn't call. They didn't text. They didn't tell Justin they were coming. 
and they didn't tell they didn't come to our house to go trick-or-treating they just showed up and kevin saw me on the front stoop and he said mr flood is justin home and if he is can cameron and i take him out for a couple of hours and i said yeah kev give me 10 minutes buddy i'll get him ready and they took him because they showed up and so that's what i ask kids to do nancy and that's what i ask adults to do it's just show up you know can you show up for a kid who's transgender can you show up for a kid with autism can you show up for a kid who's shy can you show up for a teacher and everybody needs showing up for now and I, I encourage them that if they continue to show up for others, they'll come a day, they'll come thousands of days in their life when they'll need someone to show up for them, and they will. That's wonderful. Another, yes, a fantastic takeaway for our audience. Just show up. Show up for one another. I, I think you should play the outro music now. Yeah, I, I like it. We're done. <laughs> Thanks, David. David, yeah. I, ha I have to ask, uh, did he have a costume ready? Of course he did. I could show you pictures of the hundred of Comic-Cons. You know, uh, it's amazing. You know, you think your son's going to play baseball, football, lacrosse. I go to anime conventions. I'm on the verge of dressing up in an anime costume as a Midori yeah. Izuku or some father or something Please like that. Please do send us that. We'll put that it's, on a future it's trip. It's incredible. That's wonderful. All right. So that, were pa that was... Uh, a powerful message for advocacy. So, uh, Naima, I'm going to ask you to follow that. Uh, how would you, what message do you want to give to the parents or the children um, or anyone, teachers, for advocating for children with autism? That's exactly what show up. Parents don't know the, the terminology. Parents don't know their rights. I felt like when I was working in the school district that I was running in a uh, the underground railroad in the school districts. I had to, I had to have secret meetings with parents and and teach them what was right. I had to tell them things. I, I had to tell a teacher today for about her child that she could write. You can if you don't agree with the with the what what they're saying in the report. You can write a letter to the school district and ask for a private evaluation at the public's expense. The yeah. school district is required to provide that at the public's expense. That's what your tax dollars pay for. Um, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us because that's what we're about. We're about advocating and teaching you about your rights. We can lead you to the documents. When you get that packet, um, your, your rights, you have to read through it. Read through it. If you don't know what it means, ask somebody. It's okay. It's okay if you don't, if you're sitting in a meeting and you feel pressured and, and you're, you feel pressured to, to, to just go along with what's happening, you don't have to. You can ask them to postpone the meeting because nothing can happen unless they have your signature, okay? Unless you understand everything and you're supposed to have a parent advocate, they're supposed to provide you with a parent advocate. Until you have your parent advocate, you can let them know that you're not ready to participate in a meeting for your child. Understand everything that's happening. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to assert. You don't have to be aggressive, but assert your rights as a parent for your child so they can have everything that they need. Mm. And show up. Yeah. And, and Naima, I just want, uh, you know, a couple of minutes, share some of the insights that you found from working uh, with students in the black community 
on autism. You were sharing some trends that you were finding last time we spoke. Um, in, in the black community, um, I felt that the I was getting referrals from just the black and brown community. So I said, well, um, are you only are you only giving me referrals the, from the different agencies that I contract with? Are you only giving me referrals from the black and brown communities? Well, no, we, we like your work. So we're giving you the referrals that we get. Um, and, and I'm personable. I spend time with parents. I look at parents. I pay attention to what's going on. And I, I, I don't just spend 15 minutes and then it's over. Um, sometimes it can take two hours. You, you really want to understand what's happening. Um, but this is what I thought. So I asked the question, what's the worst that can happen? They say no. Um, or I look stupid. Well, I, I, I think the only, only stupid question is the unasked question. So I asked. Um, so I have seen over my uh, many years of working in the pop with the population of autism that there are many, many, um, I would say mostly 80% of the children that I assess on the autism spectrum are from the black and brown communities. So I was thinking that I haven't done the research. I don't really like doing research, but I haven't done the research. I've only done maybe two research studies, um, but that it's, it's disproportionately affecting the black and brown communities. I don't know who's going to do the research. Maybe one day I will, but I don't have time for it right now. But that's what I have found. And, and what I do want to say is for our parents that are in the black and brown communities, be open, uh, be aware, be receptive to the supports and, and the professionals that are around you. Ask questions. Ask questions for your babies. It's okay to ask questions. Learn about, about the developmental milestones. Um, get a second opinion. And, and we know in our spirit when something's not right. We might not know the verbiage, but we know in our spirit when something is just not right. Just like when we're at a meeting um, in an IEP meeting or CPSC or CSC meeting, we know when a professional is making us feel uncomfortable. When something is not moving well within us, you know, just take a step back and and ask to reconvene. It's okay. And and go get some support. Ask for a consult from somebody. Ask a family member. Ask someone who's well-versed in, in understanding education. Ask for help. In the Black and Brown community, we don't know how to ask for help. Not out of pride. It's just we just figure, try to figure things out on our own. Ask. Ask ask. It's not pride. It's your baby and it's your baby's future. And it starts early. It starts early. So ask for support. Mm. So that also wonderful advice uh, to give to our live audience and a challenge out there. Those of you who are watching uh, or when you watch the show, who wants to do the research? Are we seeing an increased uh, number of students diagnosed with autism in the black and brown community? So we're, we're going to let you work on that one. I saw a great question come up that I'm going to end with. Gabby put up a question. What is your neurodiverse superpower? Uh, what is your neurodiverse superpower? And uh, who wants to pick one? It's a tough question, Gabby. What is our neurodiverse superpower? You know, I'm going to say that I feel like my brain works in a whole bunch of different ways at different times. I can just go into like creative thoughts all over the place, or I can get myself right down to the nitty gritty and figuring out exactly how we're going to do things. And so my neurodiverse superpower is that I have 
uh, in my company, IDE and Edquidity. I have two companies and I have surrounded myself by amazing people who get me and who work well with me because they can shift along with me. I'm sure, uh, you know, speaking to all of my colleagues out there, you're probably going like, wait, what is she doing today? Okay, here we go. Uh, and I think that it helps that if you, if your brain works in a variety of different ways to make sure you surround yourself with people who get it, who can challenge you and also who can move with you and who don't criticize you or write you off. You know, I have friends who, um, you know, I've talked to over the years who, because they're big idea people, but they hire people who can be implementers, they find that their employees are criticizing them or saying like, oh, there she goes again. And I have to say, I am fortunate enough that I don't believe that any of the people who work for me uh, ever say like, there she goes again. <laughs> and if you do, don't tell me. Uh, we, we, we don't. We don't. I can, I can yeah. attest. We don't. Okay. <laughs> Who's got a neurodiverse superpower? I have the ability to cry in front of middle and high schoolers and not worry about it. Love that. I love it that's, too. that's what I, that's it. That's all I have. It's a wonderful thing though, because it also shows them that it's okay. Absolutely. To be vulnerable in front of a middle school or a high schooler. And I know teachers are with them every day in the trenches every day. And it's easy for me to walk into a school and spend two, three, four hours there and then leave uh, and have kids share with me because I'm safe because I'm leaving and I'm yes. vulnerable. But if, but if I could even teach, you know, one teacher to do that, just be vulnerable with kids, um, you know, and, and, it'll, and it'll, let, it'll let them see that it's okay for them to be vulnerable too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Barry, what's your superpower? I think it's probably my intuition. I, I would like to say I always operate from intellect, but it's sometimes that gut reaction that tells you this is not a good situation or it is a good situation or something about the person. So it's, and I've learned over the years to take that intuition and then conceptualize from it. But I think that's probably mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Naima, what's your diverse, neurodiverse superpower? My neurodiverse superpower. I'm going to say I'm very similar to you, Nancy. Very, very, very. But my my superpower, I would say, is my personal relationship with God and letting him lead me in everything that I do. That's a great superpower. I, I, we share that one as well. Mm. And uh, Carrie Gentner posted, she's one of our directors. I love this. Uh, Carrie is OCD and she's not afraid to say it and share it. And uh, she manages and she does manage to harness, uh, the anxiety and that the OCD actually helps her with organization. So it's good too, that when you, you know, have a diagnosis that you can embrace it and make something of it and use it, use it as your, as Holly started when we uh, began the show in think in terms of asset based inter instead of deficits. I think in terms of being asset based. So, wow. Uh, I saw that David Allenback put, he learned more from this show than any of the other shows he's watched with us. Uh, I really appreciate that. I thought as well, um, you know, great show tonight. Thank you so much to my co-host Holly and to my guests, Barry, Naima and David. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, the directors are going to bring you backstage, but don't, Go offline because I'll be back in a couple of minutes so that we can all talk about the show. You know, we can talk about the audience when they're not listening. Um, so live audience, thank you for being here. If you're watching at a later date, thank you for watching the show. Really appreciate that. Uh, we, you can uh, look at any of the past shows 
If you go to nancysula.com, you will always find our past shows. So please, uh, nope, that's not the website. nancysula.com is the website that you can go to to find out more. Well, you can find out more about me, but you can find out more about all of the past uh, show links. And we've had some great shows, definitely worth going back and watching. I would like to thank our directors, Gwen Fon, Boyd Edelson, Lauren Francescan, Carrie Gentner, for making this show happen. You can't even imagine how much goes on behind the scenes to make this work. And next week, we are actually having the return of three prior guests who were here on a show discussing literacy. So if you go back to the nancysula.com link, you can find the Empowering Readers episode. We had Amelia Van Name Larson. We had Miriam Platinsky, who I hear is just publishing a new book. We have Natasha Tarpley, who, uh, you know, has books out already. And they're going to discuss, we, we actually found in the first discussion on empowering readers that we started to get into the world of equity in literacy. And, and they all agreed. I was grateful. They've all agreed to come back. And we are now going to discuss achieving equity in literacy next week. So I hope you will join me. And as always, the kids of IDE are going to uh, share a little bit to take us out of this episode. And I'll see you guys next week. I love you. Thank you so much for being here. An article from the Journal of Royal Society for Medicine claims that Sir Isaac Newton appears to be the earliest known example of any person with any form of autism. The same article also says Einstein might have been on the autism spectrum. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson was on the autism spectrum? Julia on Sesame Street has autism. Do you know that, Gabby? Do you like like one like me? Do you like our project like me? We're the friends. We love Julia. Did you know Dan Aykroyd was diagnosed with Asperger's in, in the 1980s? According to ChildMind.org, it was his obsession with law enforcement and ghosts that led to the hit movie Ghostbusters. Thanks for watching Learning Unwrapped. Tune in next week to talk about achieving equity in literacy. Go to WorldCat.org to find a library near you. Happy reading! We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. On the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz in the 5, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umla from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA 5G user experience report July 2021.